0: What percentage of people would you say are good looking?
1: Twenty-five percent.
0: Twenty-five percent? No way! It's like four to six percent.
1: It's a twenty-to-one
0: shot.
2: You're way off.
0: Way off? Yeah. Have you been to the Motor Vehicle Bureau? It's a leper colony down
2: there. Basically, what you're saying is ninety-five percent of the
1: population is undateable. Undateable. (laughs) Then how are all these people getting together? Alcohol. Mm -hmm.
0: It's Manson Mitchell on the weekend with Gary Manson, Suzanne Mitchell—a double shot of good conversation with great guests to power up your day. Manson Mitchell, you're on the air. Thank you, Eric Kramer. Happy weekend, everyone, wherever you may be. I'm Gary Manson. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. Together, we are Manson Mitchell in your ears for the hour, and we are looking forward to yet another pre-Valentine's hour. Uh, the power of love is present wherever we find Catherine Alice. And we find her with us today, we're happy to say. Let's say hello first, though, to the gentleman who produces this show expertly. Where would we be without him? Well, one thing Nathan, I can see. We'd be in Detroit. Detroit. <laughs> uh, Nathan, <laughs> Nathan <laughs> Detroit. We wouldn't be in Detroit, necessarily but we would sure hate to be without Nathan. And yet we will be without him for a couple of weeks because Nathan Detroit is going to be Nathan of the Philippines. Yes. (laughs) Nathan Detroit to Nathan Pinoy. Oh, that's fantastic. When do you leave? I will be leaving in a couple of days, actually almost exactly 48 hours from now. How long is the flight? It'll uh, almost that long. Uh, (laughs) It'll actually be maybe about uh, 16 hours of flying time to get to my final destination. Counting layovers and stuff, maybe close to 20. Wow. Wow. And you decided decided not to take the train? No. (laughs) (laughs) I'm still uh, building that underground tunnel to uh, Southeast Asia. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> well very good very good i'm sure you're going to have a whole new vocabulary oh. when you come back the well, man will
0: have stories.
1: he will have stories and it's going to be very very exciting two so, weeks
0: worth we could yeah. almost make a whole show out of it
1: almost almost well, you know what we'll give that some thought <laughs> <laughs> okay. excellent but today sweet 16 for the 16th time And, you know, when she first started coming on with us, it was in the summertime back in 2009 and 2010. And then all of a sudden with her book, which came out in 2007, Love Will Find You, we said, oh, well, you know, she's a perfect Valentine's guest. So now she makes an annual Valentine's visit. We love talking with her about love. Catherine Alice teaches and writes breakthrough material in the arenas of dating and love. Her approach approach stresses awareness and faith, and this positive, upbeat outlook has helped many singles enjoy their unattached status, and thousands go on to find love. Catherine served as the director of the Agape Spiritual Center's Crisis Support Team for six years, and her book is "Love Will Find You: Nine Magnets to Bring You and Your Soulmate Together." She lives in California, and we are thrilled to have her with us for the sweet sixteenth time. Welcome to Manson Mitchell,
2: Catherine Alice. Thank you so much, Susanna Gary. So nice to be here again. <laughs> yeah, I was. I was. I had to take off
1: my shoes to count on my fingers and toes here. <laughs> Sixteen visits, and the first visit was in two thousand nine. So, it, and
2: every you know, every time has been a delight. <laughs> I think so. It's I'm, a tradition. You
1: know, it's a tradition, and uh, yeah, it is. I I said to Gary, you know, I I want to talk about love in various aspects and various ways, various kinds of love, and it and we're going to touch on some of the magnets too. So that okay, people will, will get a sense. And I'm starting right with um, Love Will Find You. And and the, the subtitle is Nine Magnets to Bring You and Your Soulmate Together. And I said, I think another subtitle
2: could be Love Will Find You if You Believe It. Yeah. You know what? That's great. That's kind of chapter one in a nutshell. <laughs> Believe that he's out there. Or she, um, you know, that's the first magnet. And, and you, if you, faith is the opposite of fear. So when people have fear, they won't find love. Um, fear, it's going to hurt them. Fear, it's going to compromise their freedom. That's a space that's very hard to bring love into. Um, and so the more faith we have that love is coming, it'll be great. The easier love can just sidle in the door.
0: Sidle in the door. And how many times have I expri- I it's a rhetorical question because I would say the times are innumerable, but I found myself, Catherine, making progress in life, whether in terms of romance or advancement at work, whatever it may be, by going through the crisis door. That's not a good habit to fall into, I must say. But if something can sidle in, there's a naturalness to it. And I think that naturalness is tied to the openness that we have to a greater or lesser degree to receiving our own good.
2: Exactly. You know, I'm a big one on being magnetic and that's where love just, it can't sidle in the door or crawl in the window or, you know, hang out your balcony like one of my clients, Um, you know. And one of my favorite quotes, you kind of alluded to this, but is that the pain will push you until the vision pulls you. And it's a much better space to attract love in a kind of a visionary way that I'm envisioning that I'm going to have this love They're on the way and I better get ready, even if, you know, people don't have a Valentine this time. As
1: a religious science um, practitioner and a, you know, person who has studied um, that religion, um, you know, your thoughts create your reality. And so when you start out with, you know, magnet number one, and that is believing, mm-hmm. isn't there like this huge difference between what you
2: want and what you really believe? There can be. And that's always why people don't manifest because they're conflicted. They have something inside that's holding them back, known or unknown. And, um, and so the whole book is to the purpose of removing those delays, those blocks and um, the more, ma- you know, the, the longer you go in this material, and this process, the more magnetic you get to love it has to come that what we have, like a couple of the reviews on the book on Amazon are like, well, I only got to chapter three and, you know, he came in <laughs> so.
0: Only got to chapter three and. It
2: came in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was it. That's pretty fast <laughs> <I did>.
1: manifesting.
2: <laughs> it can be very quick. It's crazy. Sometimes the turnaround how quickly it happens. I have lots of those stories and it's so nice because it doesn't have to take long. It's not like a job where you get an entry level and then you get promoted, you know, and it takes years. This kid is very organic and you can be single one minute and in a whirlwind romance, literally the next day. That's how fast it can happen.
1: One of my favorite joke quotes was, well, I prayed once and it didn't work. (laughs) <laughs> and when, oh. when, when you're talking about um, manifesting rather quickly, I, I think a lot of that has to do with how strong your belief system is, because in praying, you're not actually trying to change the mind of another person. You're You're trying to change your own mind. Yeah, and so, that's
2: all you have to do is align. Once you align with love, here it comes. And so, you know, as, you know, because I have a similar belief as you, Suzanne, we practice affirmative prayer, and Jesus himself said, "Pray believing that it is done." And and that's what, you know, it's an inner shift. And and then everything just lays out.
1: Right. And so you might pray once. You could you could have one prayer where you are so in alignment with the universe mm-hmm. that that your signal, the signal, the frequency, the vibration, the signal that you're sending out is I am ready for love. Mm-hmm. And, and then the next person knocking on the door is the one for you. It That's may- right. It's like an inner
2: invitation and it is heard. You know, right. I know it sounds hokey, but I have at this point in my career, I have a lot of proof it works too. So, we send out that so call, and here comes love. So, if you have to
1: pray more than once, and and there's another story which I've already told before about a woman who prayed for five years before she got what she wanted, but she got exactly what she wanted, and and it it may have taken her five
2: years to convince herself. Mm, very possible. And that's why I don't like to put time limits. You can have a rough timeline, but if it happens one year later and the whole rest of your life is this huge love story, you're not gonna remember the waiting time. You'll be too busy in the fun of it all. So
0: Catherine, maybe this is a good time. I don't think we've ever discussed the mechanics of this, the alchemy, if you will, of Mm -hmm. what it means to work with a an affirmative prayer specialist, a prayer practitioner particularly when schooled in the science of mind, otherwise known more, uh, more formally or certainly uh, the original term, as I recall, is religious science, religious science practitioner. I always thought of that as a very honorable, distinctive title. And mm-hmm. Here you are, a practitioner of the science of mind, of religious science. Isn't it true that if someone works with you, they are coming to somebody who not only wrote a wonderful book called Love Will Find You, nine magnets to bring you and your soulmate together. They will be working with someone who understands the principle that before the person seeking the help of the practitioner believes that their good is theirs and they are in alignment there is the premise that the practitioner is the first one to believe it on their behalf
2: it's well that's what i always tell people is that you know until you can get there in your own belief i am holding that space for you i'm holding that vision we're together and and uh, it, it's powerful i i think it's very comforting to hear that too um but yes that as a practitioner You're holding that person in consciousness, holding their intention that they've set and believing it until they can get there. That's right. And that, interestingly enough, my work is still that more than anything.
1: I also find that in some ways it is easier to pray for another person when you have doubts about yourself, about achieving what it is that you want. Other people may not have those doubts. When I, when I have prayed for other people, I have mm-hmm. no doubt that they're going to get better, that they're going to heal, that well, their, yeah.
2: that their that's, finances that's will improve right. and all of mm-hmm. that.
1: But they doubt that. And so I do like the idea of praying for others and have others praying for you because they may not share the doubts that you have about yourself.
2: Exactly. And they're not in the muck with you you know they say you can't solve a problem at the level of the problem and so if you have doubts fears wounds trauma that kind of thing it's it's harder to get there but the person praying for you doesn't have all that and they can see more purely for you so there's a lot to what you said Suzanne yeah good
1: um the other thing in my uh that I wanted to ask you about is Let's say that you believe it. You say, okay, I believe it's possible that I can attract the the right person to me, the right one. Mm -hmm. The next thing is that you need to somehow, in some way, in your mind, invite that person and also make time to have love in your life because I know people who are interested in having a relationship and they make no time for it. There is no time. Mm, yeah. They're busy. And and that has to do with magnet number two.
2: That's right. Yeah. You have to you have to change some things. And so that's that problem right there is an example of A lot of people I work with who are high powered career people or they're workaholics because work is kind of more predictable and it won't hurt you and you get like you put in this much and you get this reward. And so one of the things with someone like that is to start creating time, some openness, um, you know, lighten the schedule, schedule some unstructured time, be spontaneous, you know, leave room for it.
1: Right. You do need to invite it, not not just believe that there are people who want to be with you, but also make time for that. Otherwise, once again, you have created a conflict. If you say, well, I really want somebody and I really believe I can get somebody, but right now I just don't have time for that.
2: Exactly. And, you know, that is fear because <laughs> we have a little... We have a little bit of a conflict going on when you say, I really want love, but on the other hand, I have no time. You have time for what you prioritize. And if love is important, you will prioritize it unless there's fear going on or resistance, something. And so then that is what we have to treat. That's what we have to work on.
0: I imagine there are many people with whom you have worked, Catherine, who do have the high-powered career. They're big Mm. Or they Mm -hmm. earn a sufficient amount of money so that they have job confidence. It fascinates me to meet people or to hear about them, people who succeed on the job and yet don't think of themselves as lovable. That is a real challenge because you can climb mountains at work. And if you're going to get over the idea that you are not lovable, that's one more mountain to climb.
2: Yeah, that's right. And that's another issue where you don't have to be lovable. You just have to be competent and, uh, you know, reasonably good maybe with people. But love is such a tender place because any fear we have that we're not lovable or that we're flawed in some way, which is another chapter in the book is called like the fatal flaw. Um, And uh, yeah, you know, that is absolutely true. And it's something that I deal with a lot.
1: When somebody has success in one area but not in another, success in in um, finances, success in career, but maybe not so much success in relationship, they they do exude some kind of confidence in the things that they are good at. Mm-hmm. How do you shift that over to having confidence in relationships because you know, Gary was saying earlier when we were preparing for the show that he thinks that confidence is very, very attractive in people.
2: Confidence is what I call the universal attractant. If you look at a lot of research, we all have different preferences. Nobody can agree on what's attractive. because, And it, you know, there's a reason even biologically it's set up that way, continuation of the species. But the one thing that everybody across the board finds attractive is confidence. And if you don't have it, even if you have it in other areas, we can use that as a template to start building confidence that you're lovable and that you, you are worthy of love and deserve that and can get someone who's appealing to you. Um, and that's a big process. You know, some people have been walking around with insecurity their whole life about relationship or been burned. Are you
1: going to ask about fake it till you make it, Gary? You no, know, <laughs> I've heard it. I've heard that it most is of standard. The, you know, Catherine, I've heard it most
0: of my life, two things, act as if and fake it till you make it. The, the problem I have with the latter is if I'm faking it until I make it, I'm not so sure that I'll make it, particularly if people perceive me as being fake.
2: Well, I have some interesting news about that. First off, those two things aren't that different. You know, they're not synonymous, but they're not that different between, you know, act as if and fake it till you make it. But I've seen some research where if you act like somebody, like you like somebody, you know, or act like you have an affinity for them and or act confident, people don't always know that. Now, fake confidence, like all the kind of blustery stuff and ego driven, everybody sniffs that out. But if if there's, you know, if you are kind of faking it a little bit, then people can't tell. tell. That's the research. They can't really tell necessarily. And so maybe a little, you know, if it's overboard and um, really doesn't feel genuine to you, you're going to know it. And that's all that really matters is the energy you're putting out. But if you change your posture and and you're, you're... You're putting your shoulders up and you have more of an open posture. You have a smile on your face and you don't completely feel it. You start feeling it. You you know, sometimes the posture and the facial expressions precede the feeling anyway. So it's like a fine line. And I agree with you getting super fakey, less than genuine is not good because it is a process. And at first you could feel really awkward with it. You really can't.
1: I know, when, and when I was younger and looking for love, um, I had this sense in the back of my mind that if he really knew who I was, he wouldn't like me. And, oh,
2: that, and, yeah, that yeah, imposter syndrome.
1: Yes, yes, and that relates to magnet number three in your book, um, because it, it's like there was so much about me that was unattractive that I thought I really can't reveal who I really am. I can't really reveal my situations Mm -hmm. because they're not attractive. And, and so they really wouldn't like me if they knew me. I mean, don't you find that some of that is people wanting to hold back or hide certain things about themselves?
2: Yeah, and then I tell them a story. (laughs) Um, Did y'all ever hear about the spilled coffee experiment? No, it was back in the '60s. It's been replicated many times, so it's very sturdy research. But um, there was a study done where various good candidates were sent into a series of job interviews, and so the control group were very good for the, the the role, and then the experiment, and then the other group was kind of not quite completely qualified for the job and then the other group was also highly qualified just like the control group but they did one thing differently and so they all went into the interview but the actual experimental group highly qualified they spilled coffee on themselves in the course of the interview and and then the ones who were highly qualified who were like the control group did not and every time the person who had spilled coffee on them got the job the highly qualified got the job and, um, and so there have been many theories on why, but when, you know, when interviewed later, the hirer always said that they just felt more relatable to that person. We don't want people to be perfect. We want them to be genuine. We want them to be vulnerable and show their flaws. And so you can look at that and research in dating. If you go on a date and you are a really good listener, which is very good, and if you ask a follow-up question to something you're talking about to that person, it's a big predictor of getting a second date, but you don't disclose anything about yourself, the person walks away from the date saying, well, I didn't really get to know them. And so you have to do it. And of course, you're not going to recite your resume on a date or brag about stuff. You want to be genuine. And so there are even a series of questions I've seen research that can get people down to genuine communication. But that a requirement to to meet someone and then love you is not to be perfect for sure. Better to spill the coffee on yourself.
1: I had that happen with a, a girlfriend of mine back when I was in my 20s. She was making a rather large leap from a small local suburban bank to a very large Chicago bank in the downtown area and was invited to lunch and she put on her, her best suit, her makeup, her high heels and entered a restaurant with a table that was full of men who were going to be interviewing her for a very high-level job at a very large bank. And she proceeded to trip, fall, flat on her face. <laughs> and, then oh the and then got the job.
2: And then got the job. There's so many stories like that. Showing our humanity, our imperfections, our awkwardness is a good thing. It's endearing. It's relatable.
1: Yeah.
0: There's another thing that I think one would want to avoid. And I've, I've read this a couple of times and it stuck with me. If a lady is on a date with a man who takes her out to a nice restaurant or it could be any restaurant, and if she watches him being rude or arrogant or dismissive toward the staff, that is a major turnoff because this is this is the kind of impolite behavior that speaks to a character flaw, and that might prevent a second date as well.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Now, that's the kind of thing, the flaw you, you might want to learn to overcome, is that that particular thing is not endearing, obviously. And it, it, I think that most people think it's showing the true colors of that person. They're probably not wrong
0: you can see how someone treats others well and you might rightly conclude they might eventually when they're no longer engaging in dating behavior or thinking that they are they could be treating me that way
2: Mm -hmm. yeah that's right that's right exactly and so that is unattractive no doubt
1: i did uh I, i brought up a quote in yesterday's show that was perfect for today so i'm gonna i'm gonna bring it up again because it relates to the fourth magnet. And that is shine your unique light. Quote, I, I got out of a reader's digest like decades ago, be mm-hmm. yourself. No one is better qualified. <laughs> That's a good one. No one can be you better than you can be you. And, and it, you know, you can de- do relatable, endearing things. You can spill coffee on yourself or fall down flat on your face in a restaurant. But really, to be yourself, you know, whether you're going to be uh, silly, um, e- even angry, you know, whatever those mm-hmm. traits are that define you, show that so that the other person is not. Uh, getting a, a packaged image of something that you're really not. And and so, you know, don't you think it's important uh, pretty early on in the relationship to just be genuine?
2: Absolutely. You know, very. And, and uh, it's important that the nature of what you disclose about yourself is important. Um, those three questions I mentioned earlier, psychologists have been using them lately in studies and um, it's helped people even in the workplace to bond more and to be real. And um, the questions I'll just tell you, so if anybody's listening wants to know, number one, what is the biggest challenge you face right now? And number two, um, what have you been doing about it? And number three, what is the outcome you want? And even if coworkers say that, all of a sudden they feel more bonded, they kind of opened up. And it's also a good thing to to talk about on a date.
1: Really, because that's pretty personal.
2: It is very personal, but people are dying. Nobody really listens very well. A lot of times, the people these days are scared to go deep. And so, when you do, it's crazy what happens. People open up, but I think most people will welcome that. Particularly dating is kind of you're seeing if you like each other. You want to get the whole point is to get to know each other anyway. Um, the, the number one topic to talk about that's bonding is actually travel. Um, though and so really? that's a little less personal but you know do yeah. you like to travel what's on your bucket list where you've been yeah. anything like that bonds people the most on
1: our first date Gary and I were talking about our astrological signs <laughs> <laughs> I
2: invented that's probably that, a good way. one too If you to that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's funny that's funny.
0: We are at the bottom of the hour. We will take our one and only break of this hour and continue our conversation on the other side. Love Will Find You, Nine Magnets to Bring You and Your Soulmate Together. The author Catherine Alice joins us, and I'm still hoping that many of her success stories will find their way into a sequel, a companion book. (laughs) That's a good idea. I want the first copy.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Give us a
0: couple of minutes. We'll be Manson Mitchell right back in your ears. Thanks so much for tuning in. Hi, everybody. This is Anson Williams from Happy Days, and I'm so excited to tell you about American Road. It is the best car travel magazine in the world. They have the most fantastic adventures, detailed in each magazine with all your itinerary. We could just jump in the car with your family, and have the most fabulous adventures you've ever had in your life. Please, get a copy of American Road and start your own adventure. Staying connected with Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell is easy. Just go to mansonmitchell.com for the latest info on topics and guests. Friend Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell on their Facebook pages and like the Manson and Mitchell show page at facebook.com slash Mitchell. If you're on Twitter, share a follow with Gary and Suzanne at Mance Mitchell. Join Gary and Suzanne Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for an unusual show that covers everything from personal growth to the paranormal.
2: Here's an amazing act. Here's a tremendous
0: act. Here's a startling act. The amazing, the thrilling, the greatest, spectacular, incredible, exciting, wonderful, world fame. most unusual novelty act. The home of the A-Team of Alternative Talk is mansonmitchell.com. Heard right here on Alternative Talk 1150 AM or streaming live from your computer anywhere. Terry Loving wants to help you with your online marketing challenges right now. She has several courses she is giving away to help you get your business working for you online. Yes, giving away. WordPress websites are her specialty, yet her technical skills go way beyond that. Check out her blog at terryloving.com or email her directly at terry at terryloving.com. That's terry at terryloving.com. On Friday, Manson Mitchell welcomed Tom Sterner, author of It's Just a Thought, who articulates methods for thinking so that we are directing our thoughts rather than being directed by them.
1: On Saturday, Kelly Sullivan Walden, the dream doctor, returns with her latest tools for recognizing and living your best life intentionally and joyfully. Bringing you mastery and mystery since 2007. We are Manson Mitchell, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on Alternative Talk, AM 1150.
0: There's a reason they invented the internet. It's called 1150kknw.com
1: love me too. <laughs> <laughs> right here on our stage 60 years ago a certain kind of love came over from England to the United States. Gary, you remember that?
0: I do, and the love affair with the Beatles continues
1: worldwide. Absolutely. And they're full of love love songs. So Mm. Uh, Nice to listen to to Beatles music. As we're talking to Catherine Alice, author of Love Will Find You, a very old book. And there are some books that are so timeless. And this is one of them. It was published in 2007. So the book is now 16, 17 years old. And uh, Catherine, if people would like to... uh, And I understand this is still being sold. You haven't, like...
2: Yeah, we call it evergreen when a book never goes out of print. It just keeps selling steadily and people give it to their friends. You can look online at the reviews like people really love it. And I think it's helped a lot of people. So, yeah, If
1: people want to connect with you and find out what it is that you're up to. Besides uh, your 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 book, Love Will Find You. What are the best ways for them to connect with you? Any website, social media, any any place where they can find you?
2: Yeah, com is my website. If you go to events, you can see what's going on. Um, right now we have, the, I have the Love Club, which I've had since 2007. And um, it's a coaching program. We have two events per week. We have a lot of online support Two different modules people get for different issues. They're dealing with almost any you can think of, like a, over 100 modules. And um, so pe- people get a lot of support on a regular because when you're opening to love, it can feel scary so
1: okay are you ready for the next uh topic
2: yes (laughs) shoot love
1: will find you subtitle nine magnets to bring you and your soulmate together Uh, another change that I could make in that if I wanted to be nitpicky is (laughs) nine magnets to bring you and one of your soulmates together how many soulmates do you think a
2: person could have I don't know. Mostly uh, the people I work with are looking for one. So I don't get into that topic heavily because it, it can kind of overwhelm somebody when they're lonely. They just want one person. And usually the way we're set up is for most people is bonding to one person at a time. You know, so I'm a little bit toward the monogamy side. I've been married many years and very, you know, we're very monogamous. But, you know, I know that these days there's other things. But most people, you only have one relationship at a time. You know,
1: and that's really what I was talking about, you know, serially monogamous, like like if you you think that your soulmate is your first love and in recent, it's not right. In recent interviews, we've been talking with people who say that, you know, everybody has that one that got away, that one that, you know, either was from grammar school or high school or college that. That um, got away and maybe their only job was to be your first love, but that doesn't necessarily mean your soulmate. And I know two people who met each other in high school and they're still together. But I think that's very unusual. I think we it, have yeah. the one soulmate to connect with. And and I'm, I'm just wondering what your thought is. Yeah, I think it,
2: it's very rare. Sometimes it happens. Love knows no age, whether you're old or young. And so sometimes people very young, even like since fifth grade, they've kind of been boyfriend, girlfriend, or, you know, it can be very young. It's very rare. There's value in going through a few relationships where it doesn't work out. We're learning what we want and don't want. We're learning how to be in a relationship. Um, And so there's value in it. But eventually they do come along. The reason I say there may be one more than one soulmate is just because sometimes I work with people whose first soulmate died you know, yes. passed on, but yes. they want more love. And if they want more love, they get it for sure. And so I have a whole history of people who did lose um, their first soulmate only to meet someone who's different. You know, it's not the same thing, but it, the love still feels just as good and sometimes better. And um, and they get more love. There's always more love.
1: You're saying it's not the same. And I have a girlfriend who has a theory I'm not Mm -hmm. saying it's right or I'm not saying it's wrong. She has a theory that we should change partners about every 10 years because we change over a 10-year period and what we want changes Mm -hmm. with each decade, whether we're looking for, you know, children, good times, stability, career, you know, whatever those priorities are it it is her opinion that we need a different person with us for the different stages of our of our life and and that would mean that we do have more than one soulmate in a lifetime
2: yeah well i don't really ascribe to that theory entirely i think it can be true and you know serial monogamous but you know as somebody who's been married a long time and been through many stages together if you are right for each other, let's say you are soulmates, you tend to entrain. Your energy comes together. You start, and I know you guys know this too. You cyclically connect or feeling the person right when they text you. Or you text each other the same thing at the same moment, even if you're not together. There's such a level of connection. And uh and so then if you're on the same page, you grow together and you definitely don't stay the same with, with my husband, just as an example. And I know you guys are the same. We have been through many stages together in our lives to, you know, having kids and parenting kids and growing in our careers in different ways and, and, you know, having friends together and then friends, you know, he has his guy buddies and I have my girlfriends and stuff like that. And so it's all been so interesting and valuable. And to this day, You know, we're still growing a lot, but we're still on the same page and enjoy each other's company greatly. And, you know, it's just, it's the romance has stayed. And so it depends on what you want. Some people might not have it in them, but I wouldn't sell being with the right person short at all. If you're with the right person, you can go through all those stages and you won't get bored. You never get bored. It stays exciting. You've got crackling chemistry and you do, you keep growing together and learning from each other's stages and stuff like that. So
0: I'm curious to know, Catherine, with all the clients you have worked with, have you run into one or more persons of either gender who whose partner died and they can't work through the grief enough to go out and give themselves permission to find someone else. Maybe it feels to them like on some soul level, they would be cheating even after their partner, their spouse, their girlfriend, their boyfriend has died. Like to go out and find somebody else would be a way of being unfaithful to the one they loved so much.
2: Many times, many, many times. There's one lady that I've worked with who, um, her husband died and she, Kind of liked being alone anyway because she, you know, she'd never really been alone. But she has a boyfriend and they don't live together. She's never going to marry him and they have fun. But part of her still feels married and holds back to the guy who died, her husband. And so it's just, I have worked with it. The grief can be crippling when you've tied your lives so tightly together and uh, have had such a wonderful romance. It can take a while. I have certain things. I'm kind of known for some of my releasing work to accelerate that because nobody really wants to stay in grief. And I don't think you have to, you, you know, there's natural grieving, but it has, it doesn't have to go on for years and years either.
1: Magnet number five, release old loves. Mm. I, I- I think that when when you have had that first love and that didn't work out, that you carry that memory with you, and you start comparing your new loves to your your first love or your old loves that were so great, and you know they just don't quite feel the same way. Yeah,
2: it's it's yeah, that's right, and it's different. Like if you have a new love, it's not the same. Um, For example, one woman I worked with and she was like, she was like 76 years old. I worked with her. She had been with, married a couple times and the last one died and it took her a long time to get over it. But that guy didn't like to travel. And so they had a wonderful romance, but she was a big traveler and felt, you know, inhibited by the whole thing. And so then she met this guy and she had a couple of false starts. She met this guy and he loved to travel. And um, and so it was like such an opening for her. And they had this kind of whirlwind romance all over the planet. Going, they they went all the trips so she had never been able to go on, and um, just had such a grand time. And so it wasn't the same, but it was exhilarating to her, and she loved. You know, she loved it. So yeah.
1: And and not to not to beat this dead horse too badly, but you've got the the man who loves to travel. And you have the the other person before that. And could you consider both of them to be soulmates to her?
2: Yes, absolutely.
1: And I guess the reason I want to drive that home so much is I, I sometimes get the sense of people giving up. You know, well, in, in fact, I, I should say I gave up. I gave up dating at a certain <laughs> point in my life oh, where, where I said, oh my God, been there, done that, bought the t-shirt, forget it. I don't even want to date anymore. I'm not married. All I've done is date my whole life. And and I really kind of gave up on finding a a true love of my own after just like, you know, kissing uh, 99 uh, frogs and mm-hmm. uh, and... And, and you have to, you know, then, then when I met Gary, that was different, but you think at some point, well, it's never going to happen to me. You know, I have a good career. I'm well-educated. I have other interests. I'm involved in, you know, either work or an organization or a hobby or something. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's just not going to happen. I mean, that kind of goes back to number one, and that is believing that it will happen. Mm -hmm. But, you know, this sense of um, needing to really release the past loves for what it is that they were, that that was their job, but that that wasn't the only soulmate you were ever going to have, and that it is possible that there is somebody else out there that shares your interests. And
2: would love to be with you. That's and do you know, fantastic. do you know, do you know how I, I figure out if somebody does have an, a, another soulmate or not?
1: How? Oh.
2: If they want it. If they want it, that means they're not done. Because we don't all come in and out together. Obviously, we're born alone and we die alone in a way. And, um, and so, you know, our timelines don't overlap perfectly. And so... If, if there's a long, if some people are at peace, they're like, I have my soulmate. I'm going to hang with my kids now or do other things and be happy alone. Um, and they're done. But if they come to me or if they're listening to us and interested in this, there's a soulmate. There's a soulmate there. And, um, and that's my indicator. And then we get busy magnetizing that person.
1: That is so simple, Catherine. I absolutely love that. If it's up up for you, there's somebody else for you to meet. And if it's not up for you, maybe you're done. I love that.
2: That couldn't be any simpler. (laughs) Yep. It's that simple.
0: What are your techniques for people who are perhaps highly sensitive, Catherine, and who find themselves spending too much time in self-isolation?
2: I, I think that, you know, some of us are, intro, I'm an introvert too, some of us are more introverted than others to the point of being a hermit, but if you look at it, we all benefit from human contact, no matter how hermit-like we are. A lot of people become introverts or hermits over time because they got hurt, and they didn't handle it well, and sensitives are really, really known for that. With sensitive people... I work on their focus because the hurt can hurt so bad that they shrink into themselves because they're sensitive. They take it even harder and then they shut down and they're like, I'm just not cut out for love. I'll never have love. I'll never date again, blah, blah, blah. That is not the way to go with this. The way to go with it is to work on healing the pain and reframing it. It's not the end of the world. You can be resilient. You can get over it. You can dissolve the attachment, detach, the attachment, and then focus on something different. You know, people wallow in their misery unduly a lot of times, particularly sensitives. And so, if we can focus, sensitives have to get very pristine with what they're focusing on. So, focusing on what you do want and what the hurt told you about things. Focusing on taking dating in a different way, more lightly, um, and being resilient, knowing there's no rejection. And that's what are ways that I help sensitive people deal with dating, deal with finding love and deal even with a relationship because when you're close to somebody and you're sensitive, you can get hurt over things that maybe other people would just take in stride. You know?
1: That's a very good point. That's a very good point. I wanted to ask you a, a, a broader question. Um, you worked at Agape in their, uh, one of their support systems, and agape is a type of love. It, it seems like your focus is on romantic love, mm. but but
2: there are several types
1: of love. And I was wondering if you wanted to say something about that.
2: Yeah, agape is unconditional love. And, you know, and I directed the crisis support team at the spiritual center. But, um, yeah, people always ask me, well, could my dog be my soulmate or my mom or my child? And I'm like, yes. You know, we, I think we all have different soulmates. I specialize in romantic love because that's a particular love you don't get in another way. You're close physically and, you know, physical intimacy is one of the most sacred things that there can be. It's just such a delight. And so you've got that added bonus you don't really have with other kinds of soulmates. And um, and then you're intertwining your lives in a way that I rarely see people do in, in non-romantic soulmate situations. Sometimes they do to some extent. Um, so I, I specialize in that because... I believe that our longing for that is put in our hearts by the divine to be fulfilled. And, um, and it's very rich.
1: I have a nephew who I think was in love with his dog for a lot of years. <laughs> old,
2: Understandable.
1: Yeah, old dog, old dog. It needed a lot of care. And I'm not exactly sure what happened with the dog because I wasn't that intimately involved in his life. But last mm-hmm. year he got married. And, and so he went from dog to human person.
2: <laughs> there you go. So in, he's in kind of 30s. opening up. Yes. Well, dogs are kind of innocuous. They they don't talk. They're not going to talk back to us. They can't say anything hurtful. And they'll love us through everything and anything. They're a very, you know, talk about a, a unconditional love. They're a representative. And I always use pets. I tell people, use your pet for to, to feel love and to know, you know, the way your dog loves you is how, that's how lovable you are. You know, that's the truth.
1: <laughs> so, so for some people, that might actually be a good place to start. You know, to start it's very with, heart
2: opening. It is yes,
1: yes, to have an an animal uh, to love you, and for mm. you to love the animal. And and you know, with my nephew, that might have been the stepping stone that he needed. That that his dog loved him, and he loved his dog. And maybe mm-hmm. that kind of helped him get to where the place he was. I don't know that for a fact. That, yeah, I- that
2: might be. That, that's a good point. Yeah.
0: Do you find it exciting as a practitioner to encounter people who are a biracial or bi ethnic couple? Because it seems to me that there is some navigating and to avoid misunderstandings navigating what means this or that, what it means to one party as opposed to the other. I can imagine where somebody from one part of the world looks at etiquette in a certain way, or family relationships, like in-laws, for example, where they're very, very close. I'm thinking of my big fat Greek wedding. You know?
2: <laughs> oh, right, right. You marry,
0: right. You marry right. your spouse, you marry the family. Yeah. It seems to me. It seems to me that there's some negotiating involved there, and that can be exciting, but it can also be a chore. You know, it can be a task.
2: It depends on the focus again, because those are just details. And compared to the great love that you have with the right person, you know, the love of your life all of those details tend to fall in places. And I do, it, it, you know, it does need to be addressed, but I, I have so many examples of that where it did work out a Catholic, like Italian guy who married a Muslim Indian woman. And they go back to India a couple of times a year. She is a huge liberal. He's like a you know businessman and like a Trump supporter. And I've seen them get very heated about it, but at the same time, you know, their love is so overwhelming that they've been together a while now and um, that's the precedent. And so the, all the stuff is kind of, you know, I just tell people it's an idea in your head, a lot of it. And if your relationship is solid, everything else falls in place. The family will get in line. You know, it's your life. They can't live it for you. They'll get in line and they can enrich it like it did in that movie, which is a great example of it working out, obviously. Um so, yeah, you know, I never see that because, you know, I <laughs> I was in this New York Times article with a few experts talking about mismatched love. And I was the only one that said it could work out. You, you know, all these people are varying their heads and love is in your heart. It can't be confined by ideas in your head or, you know, disparities or whatever it is. And so I was the one that said, it doesn't matter if if she's taller. It doesn't matter if they're interracial or interfaith, you know, or whatever it is. If it's love, then it will all fall in place. And it does.
1: In the last couple of minutes here, before we close out, I did want you to say whatever it is that you would like to say about Valentine's Day, about the celebration of love Any last thoughts that you would like to share, Catherine?
2: I made a whole video that's my best. I think it's my my most watched video on YouTube called Valentine's Day Blues. Those of us in love tend to have Valentine's Day all the time. Date nights, romantic trips. We don't need Valentine's Day. It was made by a card company. But I see Valentine's Day creating suffering for people who don't have a Valentine or have a tortured relationship. And I would say... Love yourself. Go watch that video, Valentine's Day's Blues, because I tell you exactly what to do. But love yourself. Try to extend love to somebody else. And it's just another day. If you're alone again and you've had some bad Valentine's Day, we've all been there. But when you meet your soulmate, you won't have any more bad Valentine's Days, you know. And so that's what I tell people. And I would say just take it lightly. It's another day really, and um, it, once you're with somebody, you'll forget all about any bad Valentine's Day, but use it for something else, you know, use it to love people, you know, who maybe you have unconditional love in another way, who need love, love yourself, pamper yourself, and buy a little card for the soulmate you haven't met yet, and then you'll be giving it to them soon enough.
1: I like That's that, that is all great advice, advice. <laughs> Valentine's Day's Blues on YouTube, look that up from Catherine Alice. And you know, pamper yourself on Valentine's Day if there isn't somebody else who's going to pamper you. Buy yourself something. Buy yourself a box of candy.
2: Buy yourself mm, a card. Buy yes. your Valentine
1: a card and hold on to it, as Catherine Alice says, for when your Valentine does show up.
2: That's right.
1: So, wonderful. Thank you being with us for the sweet 16th time.
2: Uh, we love
1: having you talk about love. Everybody wants it and everybody needs it. This is part of the human condition. So attract what it
2: is that uh, you want to attract. Thank you so much for having me. Much love to you guys and to everybody listening.
0: Back at you, Catherine Alice and her book once again. Love Will Find You, Nine Magnets to Bring You and Your Soulmate Together. I love the idea. Love will find you. I love the optimism and I do not believe it is misplaced. (laughs) Catherine Ellis, thank you once again.
2: Thanks so much.
1: All right. Join us next Friday. We'll do this all over again with a couple of other people. What do you think?
0: I think we should do that. In the meantime, have a great weekend, everyone, and a great Valentine's Day. Here's what's coming up next week on Manson Mitchell. On Friday, Manson Mitchell welcomed Tom Sterner, author of It's Just a Thought, who articulates methods for thinking so that we are directing our thoughts rather than being directed by them.
1: On Saturday, Kelly Sullivan Walden, the dream doctor, returns with her latest tools for recognizing and living your best life intentionally and joyfully. Bringing you mastery and mystery since 2007. We are Manson Mitchell, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on Alternative Talk, AM 1150.